and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Transfigured before them. The Greek word is metamorphed, changed form, transformed. As I thought about our passages today, I thought about two stories of metamorphosis or transformation. Bear with me. In Franz Kafka's short story, Metamorphosis, a man, Gregor Samsa, wakes up one morning to find out he has been transformed into a cockroach. Now, his life had been pretty much an exercise in going through the motions, a routine of tedium, a pretend caring for his family that actually made them worse. The overt cause of Gregor's death is he has this argument with his father after he's turned into a cockroach, and he turns to run away from his father, and his father throws an apple after him, and the apple gets wedged into the, in the back of him as cockroach, and it, it rots there and festers, and Gregor dies. But the actual cause of death is more a working out of a rotted out inner being that was always there. In Gregor's metamorphosis, a life that was internally verminous had simply become manifest. By contrast, in Larry and Andy Wachowski's movie, The Matrix, Thomas Anderson is transformed into the first new man of a new creation. Neo, the underground name that he had rebelliously taken on in his old life, but which becomes his actual name on the far side of a sort of resurrection. My name is Neo. The name change takes place largely because of the faith placed in him by two other people, Morpheus, I know he's the one, and Trinity, you can't be dead, Neo. You can't because I love you. You hear me? I love you. Long before I ever heard of Kafka, I felt I was on my own way to cockroachdom. I had doting depression-era parents who had spent their lives making my life better than theirs, and somewhere my soul had gotten the message that life was about getting, not giving. My high school accomplishments were a string of entries for college applications. My male friends were competitors for the best colleges. My girlfriends, weekend trophies. When I became a Christian in the fall of 1969, a lost freshman in college who despite himself couldn't seem to make friends with anybody but Christians, what finally pushed me from non-faith to faith was the realization I didn't have the capacity within me to be the kind of person I knew I was made to be. I reached out to Christ reaching out to me from the cross because I believed he could change me. 
Now, I understood he needed to cleanse me and seal my pardon first, but more than that, I was tired of being tied to a way of being that I couldn't shake. Loving myself in the image of others and becoming a vermin cockroach. I trusted Christ because I believed he could take me outside my prison of self and make me more like himself, more like what I intuited being a human being was supposed to be about. My guess is that the attraction to Christ for many of us is that very same thing. And here's the promise of today's New Testament passages. Matthew notices in the first place the physical transformation. We translate transfigured. The Greek is metamorphosed. Jesus glows as though the true identity of Emmanuel, God with us, breaks out momentarily. And then Matthew notices the voice from heaven. In Peter's reminiscence, eyewitness, it's the voice that counts. The voice of love. My son, my beloved, the one who is well-pleasing to me. Peter calls this, this voice from on high, a bestowing of honor and glory. How many sons and daughters would die to receive an ounce of honor and glory from their fathers? How many sons and daughters long to hear that voice from their earthly fathers? As it is, for Jesus, that's the voice that will sustain him in the days ahead. The journey to Jerusalem where betrayal waits him, where vicious scourging awaits him, where a cruel cross and the seeming silence of God await him. My son, my beloved, well-pleasing to me. All this let it be noted, takes place, says Peter in his letter, so that the same sort of metamorphosis or transfiguration or change of being can happen to you and me. Listen to what Peter says in verse 19 in the passage we read today. Peter says that Jesus is coming back, thus he's writing about his parousia, and when it does Jesus' coming will be the day dawning and the morning star rising, not just out there, but in your hearts. The morning star will rise in your hearts. And between now and then, Peter says, we need two things. One, the on, uh, we need one, ongoing attention to the prophetic word of Scripture which in the long version of this sermon or maybe in another sermon, we would explore the need to stay close to Scripture and especially the Old Testament prophecies of Messiah's coming and what it means for us. But that's not this sermon. The second thing we need is a process of transformation. Preparing for the day when the morning star has risen, 
That is, Jesus has returned, and our hearts have been completely made new. Listen to what Peter says at the beginning of this chapter. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, that we might become participants in the divine nature, or come to share in the very being of God, as the Revised English translated, translates it. Something like what Jesus experienced, the God-man, is designed for us as well, partaking of the very nature of God himself. And Peter adds commentary to what it means to become participants of the divine nature. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control endurance, to endurance godliness, to godliness brotherly affection philia, and to brotherly affection love, agape, a mission that begins with the father's love for his son and gets transferred to us in the son's love for us, works out in lives of love. So we're no longer on the road to cockroachdom, but on the way to neodom. Much is at stake in our yielding to the process of what Paul calls, using these same terms, the metamorphing, the transfiguring of who we are in 2 Corinthians 3.18, when he talks about us being transformed from one degree of glory to another. And that he also talks about in, in Romans 12.2, to be transformed, metamorphed, transfigured by the renewing of our minds. What Peter lays out as a preparation for the rising of the morning star in our hearts, becoming participants of the divine nature, or coming to share in the very being of God, the biblical vision is that we are all headed, all of us and each of us, to a confirmation in either something like Kafka's cockroachness or Neo's neoness, new creation. One day, when we hear with finality of ourselves, what Jesus heard of himself on that holy mountain, my son, my daughter, my child, my beloved, well-pleasing to me. Once resurrected, we will glow as he glowed. It will be as C.S. Lewis imagines it, our appearance and our being will be almost godlike, certainly by comparison with the way we experience ourselves now. And, the change, and that changes the way we think about ourselves and one another in the here and now. You may have heard these words from C.S. Lewis's Weight of Glory sermon before, but they're worth hearing over and over again. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. 
to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship like Neo or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare like Kafka's cockroach. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. Wouldn't that be nice? There are no ordinary people. No ordinary people people. But before the crown comes the cross, there is the temporary setting aside of the alleluias for the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This week, we come down from the holy mountain and begin with Jesus, the journey to Jerusalem and the hill of the cross. And with your permission, I'd like to pray a prayer that I've been working on, riffing on the litany of, repent, of penitence, which we will pray in this week's Ash Wednesday service, in view of the Beatitudes that Jesus announced at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and which we considered just a few weeks ago, a, a kind of appetizer. Is the Beatitudes are, I would submit, a kind of appetizer for the metamorphosis he has come to work in us. Poverty of spirit, mourning for the world's hurts, meekness, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, mercy, purity, peacemaking, willingness to suffer. And if you please, when I do a Lord in your mercy, would you respond, hear our prayer. Remember, brothers and sisters, that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. We confess, dear Jesus, our pride and sense of entitlement. We confess them that we may know the freedom of your humility that ours may be the kingdom of heaven. Lord, in your mercy. We acknowledge to you, Lord Jesus, our envy of people who are better off than we. And we do so that we may know your tears for a broken world, that we may thus be comforted. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we confess our anger at blocked life agendas and our overt or covert vendettas when we are slighted or hurt. And we confess them that we may know the power of our Savior's cross, the victory of meekness and peaceableness, that we may inherit the earth 
and be called your children. Lord, in your mercy. Dear Father, we acknowledge carelessness in study of your word and fecklessness in obedience to it. We acknowledge negligence in prayer and boredom in worship, compounded by timidity in commending the faith to those who do not yet know you. We acknowledge, Father, these things that we may know for ourselves, Christ's own hunger for your approving word and his thirst that all things may be made right, that we may know deep soul satisfaction. Lord, in your mercy. We confess, our Father, our intemperate, intemperate love of worldly goods and comforts. We confess that we may learn the heart of Christ's mercy instead, that we may thus receive mercy ourselves. Lord, in your mercy. We acknowledge, O oh Father, our self-indulgent appetites, that we may instead take our place alongside the reviled and the persecuted, so that we may know the joy of heaven's reward, the fellowship of the prophets. Lord, in your mercy. And finally, gracious and yet holy Father, we confess our impure thoughts, wandering eyes, and untethered hearts. We confess them that we may sense Christ's pure and purifying love, that we may see God. Lord, in your mercy. O oh God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant to us that we, beholding by faith the light of his countenance, may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen.